Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Vegas. Fantastic. The heist is impossible. Casino security cannot be beaten. You're out of your minds. Exactly. You are up to something, Danny. What? You're pulling a job, aren't you? You're a thief and a liar. I only lied about being a thief. You're gonna need a crew as nuts as you are. Who do you got in mind? Smash and grab job, huh? Slightly more complicated than that. Say we get down the elevator, we can't move and past the guards with the guns and into the vault we can't open. We're just supposed to walk out of there with $150 million in cash. Yeah. Oh. But these guys, that is the sexiest thing I have ever seen, are just crazy enough. You'd need at least a dozen guys doing a combination of cons. Do you understand any of this? I'll explain later. To pull off the con. Someone call for a doctor? of the century. We're set. We're set. We're set. Do it already. Why don't you check the batteries? Congratulations. You're a dead man. George Clooney, Matt Damon, Andy Garcia, Brad Pitt, and Julia Roberts. Why do this? Why not do it? From the Academy Award-winning director of Traffic and Erin Brockovich. Because the house takes you. Unless, when that perfect hand comes along, you bet big, and then you take the house. Been practicing this speech, A little bit. Did I rush it? Felt like I rushed it. That was good. I liked it. Ocean's Eleven. You're either in or you're out. I'm staying in. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Ocean's Eleven from 2001. Now, you might be saying, we already covered Ocean's Eleven. Well, that was the original with the Rat Pack from 1960. This was the remake. The studio was Warner Brothers. Release date was December 7, 2001. The running time, 117 minutes, and the rating was PG-13. The budget, $85 million, and the box office took in $183 million, making it the 8th ranked movie of 2001. That was domestic gross. It made an extra $267 million internationally. It was a huge hit. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 54% rotten from 186 reviews. Their critics' consensus is, while some have found the latest star-studded heist flick to be a fun, glossy star vehicle... Others declare it lazy, self-satisfied, and illogical. However, Roger Ebert at the time gave it 3 out of 4 stars, and here's his review. Serious pianists sometimes pound out a little honky-tonk just for fun. That's like what Steven Soderbergh is doing in Ocean's Eleven. This is a standard genre picture, a remake of the 1960 Frank Sinatra caper. And Soderbergh, who usually aims higher, does it as a sort of lark. It's slick, all right. Directors this good don't usually handle material this routine. It has yearnings above its natural level, as if it's hoping to redeem itself and metamorphose into a really good movie. 
The outlines of a caper movie are long and well-established. The scary external shot of the impenetrable targets, the insider information, the voiceover as we see guards going about their work, and then the plan with the split-second timing. Ocean's Eleven includes an elaborate full-scale mock-up of the strong room used by the three casinos, leading to such practical questions as, one, why does it need to be this elaborate? Two, how much did it cost? And three, who contracted it for them, or did they knock it together themselves overnight? The movie excels in its delivery of dialogue. The screenplay, written by Ted Griffin, is elegantly epigrammatic, with dialogue that sounds like a cross between Noel Coward and a 1940s noir thriller. As movie capers go, the specifics in Ocean's Eleven are not necessarily state-of-the-art. I can think of more ingeniously executed plans, most recently in the score. But then this is not a movie about suspense, but about suavity. George Clooney and Julia Roberts deliberately evoke the elegance of stars like Cary Grant and Nigrid Bergman. Andy Garcia is as smooth, groomed, and polished and tailored as George Raft. And the movie blessedly ends not with a shootout, but with a complicated plot finesse. I enjoyed it. It didn't shake me up, and I wasn't much involved, but I liked it as a five-finger exercise. Now it's time for Soderbergh to get back to work. And that's the end of Ebert's review. So as I mentioned in episode 234, where I covered the original film with the Rat Pack from 1960, I'm almost positive I saw the 2001 remake first before I watched the original. Now, this may have clouded my judgment, but I still feel the remake and the subsequent sequels are superior to the original, and I'll get more into that later. Okay, let's get into the main cast, so I won't go through each cast member's bio because there's far too many, but really, this is a star-studded film, and it had to be. I'm not even sure it would work today, and the reason is, what are you going to cast? Some guy that was in a Netflix series or played a superhero? I mean, really, this film almost was the era, end of an era, where mega movie stars still existed. You had George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Julia Roberts, Matt Damon, Andy Garcia, Carl Reiner, Elliot Gould, Don Cheadle, Bernie Mac, Casey Affleck, Scott Kahn, Eddie Jameson, and Shabo Kin. They round out the cast. The director, Steven Soderbergh, as Ebert alluded to, this was a completely different film for Soderbergh, and I'll get into that a bit. Soderbergh's feature film debut was the critically acclaimed Sex, Lies, and Videotape from 1989. His next big hit would come in 1998 for Out of Sight with George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez. Next would be another big hit in 2000 for the film Aaron Brockovich with Julia Roberts. And also the same year, he would do the film Traffic. Both Aaron Brockovich and Traffic were nominated for Best Picture in the same year. That's crazy. And then came Ocean's Eleven. To say Soderbergh was in high demand at this point in his career would be an understatement. Okay, let's get into the making of the film. So George Clooney jokingly sent Julia Roberts a script with a $20 bill saying, I hear you're getting 20 a picture now. <laughs> well, she was getting $20 million, <laughs> reportedly at the time. Again, Roberts had worked with Steven Soderbergh on Aaron Brockovich, and this made her decision pretty easy. Brad Pitt was also immediately on board once he discovered that Steven Soderbergh would direct. The main intrigue for most of the cast was that the majority of the film is the heist. And that was great fun for them. And the entire cast worked for less than their usual salaries to bring down the budget. Now, Steven Soderbergh's all-time favorite movie is Jaws. And he wanted an opportunity to be able to make a film that was just pure entertainment. That's what Ocean's Eleven was to him. And totally unlike the serious films he was making prior to this. 
So the producer, Jerry Weintraub, had worked with Frank Sinatra back when the original Oceans movie was made, and over the years he always wanted to remake the film. Now the real genius of the remake was to come up with ways to plan and execute the heist with modern technology. So while the original 1960 film was very creative, the now modern technology used for casino security is very complex. And because of this, the writers had to come up with not only a feasible plan, but also make it entertaining without confusing the audience. In many ways, the 2001 remake is closer to The Sting than the original Ocean's Eleven when it came to the heist. Also, at this point, in the late 90s and going into the 2000s, the retro Rat Pack vibe had already been sort of played out with movies like Swingers, so the filmmakers were conscious not to simply go back to that sort of vibe. The movie almost has a 1940s feel to it with a 1970s look. Plus, the city of Las Vegas and the iconic hotels are a character in and of itself. And it wasn't meant to be a heavy film. It had to be a popcorn movie. Also, because the 11 characters are not only a vital part of the story, but in the actual title, it was mandatory that each character stand out in their own way and not get lost in the shuffle. And one way to do this is to have each role filled by standout actors, which is what happened. Also, they had to make sure that no actor is gone from the film for more than 10 minutes at a time, which also occurred. There was a genuine camaraderie between the actors because they all hung out together, even when they weren't shooting. And this led to even more of a connection that cannot be denied when you see it on screen. There's a chemistry there. There was also a conscientious decision by the filmmakers to not reference the Rat Pack in any way. They wanted this movie to stand on its own without comparison to the original. And they definitely did a fine job, which I think is what all remakes should do. They need to stand alone. Okay, let's get into the film. So it begins with Danny Ocean, that's George Clooney, being given his parole hearing for his potential release from prison. Good morning. Good morning. Please state your name for the record. Daniel Ocean. Thank you. Mr. Ocean, the purpose of this hearing is to determine whether, if released, you are likely to break the law again. While this was your first conviction, you have been implicated, though never charged, in over a dozen other confidence schemes and frauds. What can you tell us about this? As you say, ma'am, I was never charged. Mr. Ocean, what we're trying to find out is, was there a reason you chose to commit this crime? Or was there a reason you simply got caught this time? My wife left me. I was upset. I got into a self-destructive pattern. If released, is it likely you'd fall back into a similar pattern? She already left me once. I don't think she'd do it again just for kicks. Mr. Ocean, what do you think you would do if released? Well, we know the answer to that. So there was another version that was cut from this last scene, where instead of having the focus solely on George Clooney, you instead see the actual parole board. But the filmmakers love Clooney's performance in the scene, and they just left the shot on him. In any case, Danny is released, and we get a montage of his release and him heading to Atlantic City. He then meets with car dealer Frank Catton, played by Bernie Mac, at one of the casinos. How are you, sir? Hello, Frank. I beg your pardon, sir. You must have me confused with someone else. My name is Ramon, as you can see right here. It's my mistake. No problem, sir. Table's cold, anyway. 
You might want to try the lounge at the Caesars. It gets busy after 1 o'clock. 1 o'clock? Yes, sir. Thanks, Ramon. Thank you. Checking up on current events. Ramon. Glad to meet you. Frank Cadden can't get past the gaming board. You just got out? This afternoon. You seen him? Last I heard, he was teaching movie stars how to play cards. Why? You have a plan already? Are you kidding? I just became a citizen again. Officer Brooks, this is Danny Ocean. I was told to contact you within 24 hours. No, sir, I've been getting any trouble. No, sir, I haven't been drinking. No, sir. I wouldn't even think about leaving the state. In the next scene, we see Danny in Hollywood, California, of course, violating his parole. And he's meeting with his partner, Rusty Ryan, that's Brad Pitt, who has set up an underground poker game and is teaching these young rich kids how to play. Now, the fun part about this scene is seeing all the young actors of their day, like Topher Grace and Joshua Jackson and Holly Marie Combs. Hey, Russ. Rusty, what's up, man? Let me ask you a question, then. Are you incorporated? Well, okay, if you're not, you should really think about it, because I was talking to my manager last night. Bernie. No, not Bernie, my business manager. Actually, you know what, they're both named Bernie. Anyway, he was telling me that because of what we do can be considered, like, research for, like, a future gig or whatever, I could totally make it a tax write-off. The one thing is, and this is, like, just his thing, stupid, but I'd have to pay you by check. Let's, or we could just stick to cash. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's just stick to cash. Begin with five card draw. You want to remember five card draw? Oh, yeah. Hell yeah, yeah. You want to start us out? Josh? Yeah. Josh? Yeah. To the left. Deal to your left. Shane? Hey. It's not blackjack. Dude. <laughs> Looking at him doesn't change. You know what you have. Okay. Josh? Left. 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 I'll get that. I'll get that. I'll get Lady bets. Let's keep it moving. Left. Blue. That's a 50. Oh. Okay. Ooh, all right. Change calling. 50. There it is. What the hell? It's only pocket change, right? <laughs> <laughs> How you bet is your business. You want to make them think you're betting for a reason. Yeah. Thanks, man. Okay. All right. Right. Uh, how many? Four. You don't want four. You want to fold. I want to fold? Fold. Is that okay? Okay. Done. Uh, what are you and, doing? Uh, you're done. Dealer will take three. You're done. Shane, you got three pairs. Yeah. You can't have three pairs. You can't have six cards in a five-card game. Josh. Maybe one with me. I'm not talking about that. That's the cards that I was supposed to All? Okay. Reds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what up, dog? All red. Right. Yeah, I told you. It's going to be a call. I know. I'm going to love spending your money. I'm going to get my car washed. I promise I was going to kick your ass. So I can tell you what's going on there. Russ, uh, we got another player, if that's cool with you. Mr. Ocean, uh, what do you do for a living, if you don't mind me asking? Why would I mind you asking? 
two cards. I just got out of prison. Really? Well, why were you in prison? I stole things. You stole things? Like, uh, jewels? Lincoln matrimonial head masks. Any money in those? Lincoln matrimonial head masks. There's some. Don't let them fool you. There's boatloads. If you can move them. Take one. But you can't. My fence seemed competent enough. Dealing in cash, you don't need a fence. People lack vision. Probably everybody in cell block E. That's $500. Guys, what's the first lesson in poker? Never bet on the, uh... No, uh, leave emotion at the door. That's right, Topher. Today's lesson, how to draw out the bluff. That much money, this early in the game, I'm saying he's holding nothing better than a pair of face cards. Bear? I will see your 500, and I will raise you another 500 of my own. That's a very handsome bet, Josh. But be careful. We don't want to push him too high too fast. I'm going to keep him on the leash. Holly? Call. 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 And I'll call. I'll see you 500. Raise you 2,000. Guys, you're free to do what you like. It's a lot of money. But I'm staying in. He's trying to buy his way out of his bluff. Josh? Two. But the ace, I think, is pretty high. So Danny cleans up a bit, especially when it's all funny money to the rich TV stars. What's great about the poker scene are the looks that Clooney and Pitt give each other throughout. Some of these are subtle, but they also say a number of things that the dialogue wouldn't match. Next, Danny gives Rusty the details of his current plan. God, I'm bored. You look bored. I am bored. So how was the clink? Did you get the cookies I sent? Why do you think I came to see you first? So tell me. It's tricky. It's never been done before. It's gonna need planning and a large crew. Guns? Not exactly. A lot of security, but the take. What's the target? Eight figures each. What's the target? When was the last time you were in Vegas? What? You want to knock over a casino? <laughs> the vault at the Bellagio. Mm. Oof. Well, if I'm reading this right, and I'd like to think that I am. This is probably the least accessible vault ever designed. Yep. You said three casinos? These feed into the cages at the Mirage, the MGM Grand, but every diamond's up there. The Bellagio, the Mirage. These are Terry Benedict's places. Yes, they are. You think you'll mind? More than somewhat. 
You'd need at least a dozen guys doing a combination of cons. What do you think? Well, off the top of my head, I'd say you're looking at it. A Boski, a Jim Brown, uh, a Miss Daisy, two Jethros, and Leon Spinks. Not to mention the biggest Ella Fitzgerald ever. Do you think you're gonna get the money to back this? If we're hitting these three casinos, we'll get our bankroll. Benedict's got a long list of enemies. Yeah, but enemies with loose cash, nothing to lose. Ah. Ruben. Ruben. Hey. Jeez. Oscar, lower it a bit, would you? Sorry. You guys done up here? Find what you want? I'm just gonna take these home for the night and make some copies if it's all right. Whatever you need. Appreciate it. What? I need a reason. I don't say money. Why do this? Why not do it? Because yesterday I walked out of the joint after losing four years of my life and you're cold decking teen beat cover boys. Because the house always wins. You play long enough, you never change the stakes. The house takes you. Unless, when that perfect hand comes along, you bet big, and then you take the house. Been practicing that speech, I A little bit, did I rush it? Felt like I rushed it. That was good, I liked it. TV thing was harsh. I wonder what Ruben will say. So Danny is the idea man, and Rusty executes the plans. Danny can sell an idea to anyone. He's that type of guy. This is why George Clooney is just perfect for this role. Now it's time to meet the financial backer, Ruben, played by Elliot Gould, whose wardrobe must be seen to be believed. You're out of your goddamn minds. Are you listening to me? You're both of you nuts. I know more about casino security than any man alive. I invented it, and it cannot be beaten. They got cameras, they got watches, they got locks, they got timers, they got vaults. They got enough armed personnel to occupy Paris. Okay, bad example. It's never been tried. Oh, oh, it's never been tried. It's been tried. A few guys even came close. You know the three most successful robberies in the history of Vegas? Number three, the bronze medal. Pencil neck grabs a lockbox at the horseshoe. He got two steps closer to the door than any living soul before him. Second most successful robbery. The Flamingo in 71. This guy actually tasted fresh oxygen before they grabbed him. Of course, he was breathing out of a hose for the next three weeks. Goddamn hippie. And the closest any man has ever come to robbing a Las Vegas casino was outside of Caesars in 87. He came. He grabbed. They conquered. But what am I saying? You guys are pros, the best. I'm sure you can make it out of the casino. Of course, lest we forget, once you're out the front door, you're still in the middle of the fucking desert. You're right, he's right. Ruben, you're right. Our eyes were bigger than our stomachs. That's exactly what it is, pure ego. Yeah, 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 blah, blah, blah. Thank you for lunch. He's what was delicious. Sorry we bothered you. 
Look, we all go way back, and uh, I owe you from the thing with the guy in the place, and I'll never forget it. That was our pleasure. I've never been to Belize. Give Dominic your addresses. I got some remaindered furniture I want to send you. Look, just out of curiosity, which casinos did you geniuses pick to rob? Bellagio, the Bellagio, the Mirage, and the MGM Grand. Those are Terry Benedict's casinos. Is that right? That's right. You guys, what do you got against Terry Benedict? What do you have against him? That's a question. He torpedoed my casino. Muscled me out. Now he's gonna blow it up next month to make way for some gaudy monstrosity. Don't think I don't see what you're doing. What are we doing, Ruben? You're gonna steal from Terry Benedict. You better goddamn know. This sort of thing used to be civilized. You'd hit a guy, he'd whack you done. But with Benedict, at the end of this, better not know you're involved, not know your names, or think you're dead, because he'll kill you, and then he'll go to work on you. That's why we have to be very careful, very precise, mm. well-funded. Yeah. You gotta be nuts, too. And you're gonna need a crew as nuts as you are. Who do you got in mind? Now it's time to recruit. And I must say, this version is really a lot of fun to watch because these recruitment and planning scenes are awesome. The original from 1960 is fun because of the legendary star power of its era, but the actual execution is more drawn out and slow. That's not the case with the remake. All right, who's in? Frank C is in. Frank C has developed a bad case of bronchitis and is putting in for a transfer to warmer climates. about drivers. I talked to the Malloys yesterday. The Mormon twins? Mm. They're both in Salt Lake City, six months off the job. Got the sense they're having trouble filling the hours. Waiting, sweetheart. Just waiting. Good. Go. Waiting for you. What do you want? Go, little girl. You're like a little girl. Relax. Let's do this good. all day. Don't I'm going to get out of the car and I'm going to drop you like third period French, okay? Stop Relax. talking. Go. Stendell. Livingston's been doing freelance surveillance work of late for the FBI mob squad. How are his nerves? Okay. Not so bad you notice. Let's see if we can move in a little bit on this one. D -d don't, 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 don't touch that. Why not? Uh, do you see me grabbing the gun out of your holster and just waving it around? Hey, Radio Shack. Relax. Basher's in town. There might be an issue with availability. 
That's all you use in the event, right? Nothing else? Hang on. Are you accusing me of booby trapping? Well, how about it? Booby traps are Mr. Tar's style. Isn't that right? Fashion. Peck, ATF. Let me venture a guess. Simple G4 mainliner, back wound, quick fuse, with a drag under 20 feet. Yeah. Let me ask you something else. Did you search this scumbag? Booby traps on his person? I mean, really search. Not just for weapons. Stand back. Oi! Here we go. Go find Greg's tell him I need to see him. Who? Just find him, will ya? Hey, Ben. Hey, Russ. How fast can you put something together with what I just slipped you? It's done. Hey, it's done, yeah, huh? Yeah, he's waiting around the corner. Oh, it's terrific. It'll be nice working with proper villains again. Everybody down! Get it! <laughs> they weren't expecting that shit. <laughs> Which one's the amazing Yen? The little Chinese guy. Who else is on the list? He is the list. I don't know, it doesn't seem all that different. We got a grease man. We got a grease man. We need Saul. He won't do it. Got out of the game a year ago. Get religion. Pulsar. You could ask him. Hey, I could ask him. So we get the nutty Malloy brothers, Virgil, Casey Affleck, and Turk, Scott Kahn, who are racing a remote control model car <laughs> against a real car on a racetrack. Livingston Dell is a surveillance expert, played by Eddie Jameson. Ambassador Tar, played by Don Cheadle, is an explosive expert. And then the Amazing Yen is an expert acrobat, played by Shabo Kin. Next is Saul Bloom, played by Carl Reiner, who is a very seasoned con man and the elder statesman of the group. I saw you at the paddock before the second race outside the men's room when I placed my bet. I saw you before you even got up this morning. How you been, Saul? Never better. What's with the orange? My doctor says I need vitamins. So why don't you take vitamins? You come here to give me a physical? Box seats, come on. So you're gonna tell me, or should I just say no and get it over with? So you're the best there is. You're in Cooperstown. What do you want? Nothing. I got a duplex now. I got wall to wall and a goldfish. I'm seeing a nice lady who works the unmentionable counter at Macy's. I've changed. Guys like us don't change, Saul. We stay sharp or we get sloppy. We don't change. Good conning me. Is that your hound way in the rear there? The brake's late. Everyone knows this. So are you going to treat me like a grown-up at least? Tell me what the scam is? Rusty whispers in Saul's ear and walks away. Yes, Saul is going to be joining the crew. That brings the count to 10. And of course, the movie isn't called Ocean's 10. 
So one more guy is needed. That's Linus Caldwell, played by Matt Damon, who was a petty thief and a pickpocket, specifically. Hello, Linus. Whose is this? Who are you? A friend of Bobby Caldwell's. You're either in or you're out. Right now. What is it? It's a plane ticket. A job offer. Well, you're pretty trusting pretty fast. Well, Bobby has a lot of faith in you. Fathers are like that. No, he didn't tell you. He didn't want me trading on his name. If you do this job, you'll be trading on yours. If you don't, we'll find somebody else who won't be quite as good, and you can go back to feeling up stockbrokers. Can you get the check, please? That's the best lift I've seen you make yet. Las Vegas, huh? America's playground. All right, now the team is set, and it's off to Vegas to plan the heist of all heists. Baby, close your eyes and listen to the music. Take to the summer breeze. It's a groovy night, and I can show you how to use it. To come along with me and put your mind at ease. Less conversation, a little more action. What, did you guys get a group rate or something? Saul, do you uh, make it out to Utah much? Not as often as I'd like. I think you should check it out. I think you dig Provo. I think you could do very well there. I'll look into it. Gentlemen, welcome to Las Vegas. Is that right? Everybody eating? Good. Everybody sober? Close enough. All right, before we get started, nobody's on the line here yet. What I'm about to propose to you is both highly lucrative and highly dangerous. That doesn't seem like your particular brand of vodka. Help yourself to as much food as you like and have a safe journey. No hard feelings. Otherwise, come with me. You're Bobby Caldwell's kid, huh? From Chicago? Yeah. It's nice there. You like it? Yeah. That's wonderful. Get in the goddamn house. Gentlemen, the 3000 block of Las Vegas Boulevard, otherwise known as the Bellagio, the Mirage, and the MGM Grand. Together, they're three of the most profitable casinos in Las Vegas. Let me see. This is the vault at the Bellagio. It's located below the strip, beneath 200 feet of solid earth. It safeguards every dime that passes through each of the three casinos above it. And we're going to rob it. Smash and grab job, huh? Slightly more complicated than that. Oh, yeah. This is courtesy of Frank Catton, new blackjack dealer at the Bellagio. Okay, bad news first. This place houses a security system that rivals most nuclear missile silos. First, we have to get within the casino cages, which anybody will tell you takes more than a smile. Next, through these doors, each of which requires a different six-digit code changed every 12 hours. Past those lies the elevator. This is where it gets tricky. The elevator won't move without authorized fingerprint identification. Which we can't fake. And vocal confirmation from both the security system within the Bellagio and the vault below. Which we won't get. Furthermore, the elevator shaft is rigged with motion detectors. Meaning if we were to manually override the lift, the shaft's exit would lock down automatically and we'd be trapped. Now once we get down the shaft, though, then it's a piece of cake. Just two more guards with Uzis and 
the most elaborate vault door ever conceived by man. Any questions? No, tunneling is out. Their sensors monitoring the ground a hundred yards in every direction. If a groundhog were to nest there, they'd know about it. Anyone else? You said something about good news? Yeah. The Nevada Gaming Commission stipulates that a casino must hold in reserve enough cash to cover every chip it play on its floor. That means, on a weekday, by law, it has to carry anywhere between 60 and 70 million dollars in cash and coin. On the weekend, between 80 and 90 million. On a fight night, like the one two weeks from tonight, the night that we're going to rob it, 150 million without breaking a sweat. Now, there are 11 of us, each with an equal share. You do the math. Exactly. I have a question. Mm -hmm. Say we get into the cage and, and through the security doors there and down the elevator we can't move and past the guards with the guns and into the vault we can't open. Without being seen by the cameras. Oh, yeah, sorry, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, well, say we do all that. Uh, we're just supposed to walk out of there with $150 million in cash on us without getting stopped? Yeah. Oh. Okay. So now it's time to put in the work, which means lots of recon. They will outline everything about all three casinos, the time schedules, the workers, absolutely everything. So similar to the original 1960 film, the part of the heist which involves a power outage will again be a key part of the 2001 heist, with Basher causing the outage, just like Sammy Davis Jr. did in the original. Next is the surveillance, which will be Livingston's job. A stripper at one of the local joints nabs a keycard from one of the Bellagio guards while giving him a dance. Rusty pays off the gal, and Livingston uses the key for an hour to get into the surveillance room and hack into the system in the server room. So this means that the surveillance cameras will be controlled by the ocean crew, and then they can have dummy footage piped in when it's necessary. Livingston does have a bit of a scare when the directions to the server room get erased, as he wrote them on his hand, which were erased when he wiped the sweat from his brow. After being stopped by a security guard for dropping his phone, he gets away without incident. Next is an A-team-like drill, you know, the TV show, where the crew creates an exact replica of the Bellagio vault to practice on so that everything is seamless. Saul will play the part of Lyman Zerga, a very wealthy businessman who will be considered a high-profile guest staying at the Bellagio. His two assistants will be the Malloy brothers. And then we get the down low about the main mark of the heist. That's Terry Benedict, played by Andy Garcia. Okay, tell me about Benedict. That guy's a machine. Good afternoon, Mr. Benedict. Right, he arrives at the Bellagio every day at 2 p.m. Same car, same driver. Benedict. All right, Tommy, how's it, baby? Very well, thank you. Remembers every valet's name on the way in. Not bad for a guy worth three-quarters of a billion. Offices are upstairs. He works hard, hits the lobby floor at 7 on the nose. Good evening, sir. Lawyer Frank, how's the time? Spends three minutes on the floor with his casino manager. What do they talk about? All business. Benedict likes to know what's going on in his casinos, likes to be in control. There's rarely an incident he doesn't know about or handle personally. Oh, Benny L.A., come here, Spends a few minutes glad-handing the high rollers. He's fluent in Spanish, German, and Italian, and he's taking Japanese lessons. He's getting pretty good at it. He's out by 7.30 when an assistant hands him a black portfolio. Thank you, Doc. Contents, the day's take, and new security codes. Then he heads to the restaurant. 
like I said, a machine. And that portfolio contains the codes to all the cage doors? Mm-hmm. And two minutes after they've been changed, he's got them in his hand. I tell you, you guys really can't pick them. This guy is as smart as he is ruthless. The last guy they caught cheating in here, he not only sent him up for 10 years, but he had the bank seize his house, and then he bankrupted his brother-in-law's brother -in tractor dealership, I yeah, heard. He doesn't just take out your knees. Mm -hmm. The guy goes after your livelihood and the livelihood of anybody you ever met. You scared? You suicidal? Only in the morning. Now what? Now comes the girl. She comes down after him if they're in a snit. Where's she come from? Museum up there, she's a curator. Oh, here she is. This is just the best part of my day. Still don't know if we can use her yet. Actually, I haven't even caught her name. Tess. Her name is Tess. So Tess is played, of course, by Julia Roberts. And if you've never seen the film, you will soon find out why Tess is a key player in all of this. We have to talk. Okay. Now. Tell me this is not about her. Oh, I am walking. I am walking off this job right Ooh. now. Tess. Terry Benedict. Tell me this is not about screwing the guy who's screwing your wife. Ex-wife. Tell me. It's not about that. It's not entirely about that. Russ, do you remember when we first got into this business? We said we were going to play the game like we had nothing to lose. lose. Well, I lost something. I lost someone. That's why I'm here. Okay, here's the problem. Now we're stealing two things. And when push comes to shove, if you can't have both, what you gonna choose? And remember, test is not split 11 ways. If everything goes to plan, then I won't be the one that has to make that choice. How'd she look? She looked good. Thanks. So Tess is Danny's ex-wife, who is now in a relationship with the hated Terry Benedict. So while Danny won't completely cop to it, he wants to definitely destroy Benedict in two ways, his wallet and his heart. Danny decides to surprise Tess at the Bellagio restaurant. You're 30 seconds late. I was about to send out the search. Hello, Tess. What are you doing here? I'm out. You're out. The prison. You remember the day that I went for cigarettes and didn't come back? You must have noticed. I don't smoke. Don't sit. Now, they tell me that I paid my debt to society. Funny, I never got a check. You're not wearing your ring. I sold it. I don't have a husband or didn't you get the papers? My last day inside. I told you I'd write. Danny, go now before... What? Benedict? How you doing? Whiskey and whiskey. Danny. Tess, you're doing a great job curating the museum. The Vermeer is 
quite good, simple, vibrant, although his work definitely fell off as he got older. Remind you of anyone? And I always confuse Monet and Manet. Now, which one married his mistress? Monet. Right, and then Manet had syphilis. They also painted occasionally. I'm in your seat. Forgive me for being late. I guess required my attention. That's fine. Danny was walking through the restaurant and spotted me. Is that right? Yeah, imagine the odds. Of all the gin joints in all the world. <laughs> you recently were released from prison, is that correct? That's right. How does it feel to be out? About the same. Danny was just about I just stopped by to say hi to Tess for old time's sake. Stay and have a drink. You can't. <laughs> well then, I don't imagine we'll be seeing Mr. Ocean anytime soon, right? You never know. Ah, I know everything that's happening in my hotels. So I should put those towels back? No, the towels you can keep. Take care, Danny. Terry. Danny. In the meantime, the gang continues their prep, including watching the amazing Yen pull off his acrobats in the test vault. It's quite a sight to behold. However, Basher has some bad news for the crew. Yeah, we're in deep shit. That poxy demo crew haven't used the coaxial inch to back the main line, have they? They've only nosed up the mainframe couplet, nosed it right up. Do you understand any of this? I'll explain later. Listen. They're so pony that they've gone and blown the backup grid one by one, like dominoes. Basher, what happened? They did the same what I would have done, only they did it by accident. Problem is now they know their weakness and they're sorting it out. They're fixing it. So... So unless we intend to do this job in Reno, we're in Barney. Barney Rubble. Trouble! Well... We could always... By tomorrow? 
Hang on a minute, hang on. We could use a pinch. What's a pinch? A pinch is a device which creates like a cardiac arrest for any broadband electrical circuitry. Or better yet, a pinch is a bomb. No, but without the bomb. See, when a nuclear weapon detonates, it unleashes an electromagnetic pulse which shuts down any power source within its blast radius. Now, that tends not to matter in most cases because a nuclear weapon usually destroys everything you might need power for anyway. But see, a pinch creates a similar electromagnetic pulse, but without the fuss of mass destruction and death. So instead of Hiroshima, you'd be getting a 17th century. How long? About 30 seconds. Could a pinch knock out the power of an entire city? Like, for instance... Las Vegas? Yeah, I think it might. No, but there's only one pinch in the world big enough to manage it. Where? And this pinch is at the California Institute of Advanced Science. So while Basher, Yan, and Danny steal the pinch, Linus is stuck with the amusing Malloy boys, which is not amusing to him. Alright, start. Okay, go ahead, I got one. Are you going to think of one? Okay. No, I've already thought of one. I'm not going to All think right, so of you're one. thinking of one right now. No, I'm done thinking about it. I Fine. have it in my head. Are you a man? Yes, 19. Are you alive? Yes, 18. Evil can evil. Shit. I'm not touching you. Take your hand out like this. I'm, my hand's not in here. Your hand's right I'm, in front am I touching you? Am I touching you? Your hand's right in front of I'm not face. touching Take you, so your I'm, hand not right front I'm not. I didn't touch you. You just touched me. No, I didn't. You just you made me, me touch you. Nothing. Don't. No, no, no. This is your side. This is your side. Don't touch. Get off. Get off. Finally, Linus decides he can't take it and decides to go inside the building. However, unbeknownst to him, the guys leave the building with the pinch and leave without Linus. He ends up being chased by the security before crashing through a window and finding the guys to escape. So once the guys get back to Vegas, they have another problem to deal with. Danny's been flagged in all the casinos due to Benedict. If he enters any casino on the strip, he'll be tailed. Rusty decides that Danny's out and Linus will take over his duties on the heist. No good. Don't touch your tie. Look at me. Okay. I ask you a question. You have to think of the answer. Where do you look? No good. You look down, they know you're lying. And up, they know you don't know the truth. Don't use seven words when four will do. Don't shift your weight. Look always at your mark, but don't stare. Be specific, but not memorable. Be funny, but don't make him laugh. He's got to like you and then forget you the moment you've left his sight. And for God's sake, whatever you do, don't, under any circumstance. Russ. Yeah. Can you take a look at this? Sure. <laughs> Linus is now beyond nervous. Also, Saul's health seems to be not in the best of shape, but he continues to power along. And he almost gets made by a guy who recognizes him and calls him Saul when he's supposed to be Zergo <laughs> while being escorted by Benedict. But the Malloy boys take care of that guy, and Saul's briefcase with the supposed rare diamonds are then put into the main vault. This, of course, is necessary for the heist. Lift them up, please.
All right, Mrs. Zerga, I acknowledge that your briefcase does not contain any dangerous or illicit material, and I further agree to take custody of said briefcase and store it in my secured vault for a period of 24 hours. Now, I cannot actually allow you to accompany the briefcase no, into the vault. Why not? Insurance for one, security another, but most of all, I just don't trust you. Excuse me. Mr. Zerga, this is my casino manager, Mr. Walsh. Now, if you will allow him, he will arrange for your briefcase to be stored inside our vault while you watch on a security monitor. Those are my terms, yes or no. You leave me no choice, sir. All right, there's about an hour left, and this is where the tension and the action really happens. There's a few reasons I'll leave off here. One, a lot of what plays out is visual, which really does not translate audio-wise. And two, if you haven't seen the film, I don't want to spoil these awesome scenes. Besides the heist itself, you'll find out the fate of Danny and Tess, along with if the heist can actually be pulled off. Also, will the ending be similar or completely different than the original? So again, while I do enjoy the original from 1960 with the Rat Pack, simply because they're legends of show business that appear in that film, to me the remake is far superior when it comes to an actual film. It's the type of movie that just flies by. The dialogue is terrific, the acting is terrific, and each cast member gets a chance to shine. It's truly an ensemble cast, and the plans and the execution of the heist is really well put together. It's just a joy to watch at any time. As good as the team is, you need a villain to tie this all together, and Andy Garcia does a fabulous job. This is also a plot point that differs from the original film. Okay, let's get into the fun facts. So according to Brad Pitt... When he plays poker, he's a gut player. Matt Damon is supposedly more of a by-the-book guy, while George Clooney is absolutely awful at playing, says Brad Pitt. If you didn't notice the first time watching this film, Brad Pitt's character is constantly eating junk food, so be sure to look out for this next time you watch. And during the several takes it took to shoot the scene in which Rusty and Linus are spying on Test as she's introduced, you know, coming down the stairs... Brad Pitt is actually eating shrimp cocktail, and he ate more than 40 shrimp during these takes. So George Clooney is a nonstop practical joker on set, and he would often make Julia Roberts genuinely laugh profusely during takes. They actually had never met before this film. Andy Garcia said it wasn't easy to do a serious scene with Carl Reiner because Reiner was so funny. While a vital part of the heist involves the main vault at the Bellagio Hotel, in reality, there is no such vault there. So this was Shaibo Kin's acting debut, and he didn't speak a word of English, so he did have an interpreter on set, but he was mostly a master at picking up facial cues in order to fill the gaps. His main profession was exactly his character in the film. He's an acrobat and contortionist. So Luke and Owen Wilson were originally tabbed to play the Malloy brothers, but they dropped out due to filming the Royal Tenenbaums. Ethan and Joel Cohen were also considered after the Wilsons dropped out. Mark Wahlberg was originally cast in the Linus role, but he dropped out to film the remake of Planet of the Apes. So there were some other well-known actors considered for the cast. They include Mike Myers, Bruce Willis, Johnny Depp, Bill Murray, Ewan McGregor, Don Rickles, and Ralph Fiennes. So the Bellagio let the film crew tap into their security system to get real surveillance footage of the casino. Okay, we have two special guests and they're both from the same podcast. It's Stephen Michael and Sonny Pooney from the Grown Up Rock podcast. They were actually interviewed separately. So, unfortunately, there's no in-house fighting because those are always great. But we do have a great time with both guests nonetheless. 
And I'll be back next week to talk about yet another random movie from my DVD collection. Okay, we're back with Grown Up Rocks, Stephen Michael. Welcome back, Stephen. Brian Davis, my man with the Bellagio plan. What's going on? (laughs) I'm doing great. Eventually, I will be interviewing Sonny because he is Mr. Las Vegas. But uh, first, we're going to talk to Stephen. And before we actually get into the, uh, I guess it's a remake, even though it's kind of a completely different movie. Did you ever see the original from 1960 with the Rat Pack? I did not. In fact, it was probably long after this movie came out before I even understood that it was a remake. Oh, really? Interesting. Okay. Had you ever seen any Rat Pack movies before at all, like in general? I probably have, but as you've made reference before, I'm not a terribly great old movie person. Got it. Got it. Okay. So going back to 2001, is this a movie that you saw in the theater or was it a rental? How how did you see this the first time? You know, I knew this was a question that you would ask and and I searched my memory and honestly, I can't remember, but I'm going to go on a limb and say it was a movie that I saw at home because it doesn't seem like a movie that I would have made a specific trip to the theater to see. Okay. Are you into heist films in general? So is this a, I mean, is this in your bang zone of, uh, of movies that you would check out? I do like a good heist, uh, film, especially when it's sort of twisty and plotty and, uh, everything isn't as it appears. I'll say. Sure. I think this is, since it is basically a trilogy, we'll, we'll leave out, um, Ocean's Eight, even though I do enjoy that and is kind of part of the the whole um, franchise, um, it's it's basically viewed as a trilogy. Where would you rank this uh, in terms of the other three? I think this is probably the most straightforward of of the three. Yeah, so I remember liking all three, but you know me, I, I don't have a memory <laughs> past uh, two days, and so that's why I go run out and watch these movies before we're going to review them and. Uh, it seems to me that I always was partial to uh, this first one more right. so than the other two. But I do recall enjoying those other two as well. And I re- recall the third one, 13, the, the most, just not, not the most, but one of the sequels because uh, Al Pacino's in that one. They kind of you know pair up with Andy Garcia. Right. And wasn't wasn't the most recent one more. It was all women, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, OK. Uh, uh, Sandra Bullock plays, I believe, Danny Ocean's sister. And so and then she kind of um, so he's referenced, but he's never actually in the film. And so I, th- I thought they did a, a really good job with it. You know, it was just it, it stood on its own. They weren't trying to remake anything. So I think that's the biggest mistake I think franchises make when they try to straight up remake it instead of making it their own entity. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll we'll get into it. So, uh, you know, I like I always loved the A team growing up, things like that. I like it when people plan their missions or their their heists and things like that. Is that the draw to this film or is it, you know, or do you think they got too complicated with it? Well, uh, no, I don't think they got too complicated okay. with it uh, mm-hmm. at all. Uh, the biggest draw for me to this film uh, probably was more or less the cast. Sure. I mean, uh, I think that Hollywood over the years, it used to be this way where a lot of the Hollywood movies had all these massive stars and you would see a movie that had, you know, 50 people in it that you knew and they got away from that. To me, 
this was a movie that kind of very much harkened back to those Rat Pack days and to that old Hollywood, even in the way that it was shot and the colors that they used in this movie. Uh, just I really enjoyed that part of it. And that's mm-hmm. what drew me in uh, originally. Well, I, I'm glad you brought up the actors. It really kind of is a who's who of, of that era. And actually, to this day, you still have, you know, Clooney and um, and Matt Damon and Brad Pitt are still huge. I mean, some of the top actors there are. Is there anyone that wasn't in the film that you would have included, like actor wise? Or is that something you didn't even think about? Oh, shoot. There's, you know, if I thought real hard, that would be probably pretty easy to come up with uh, several people. But at the time, I just think that this cast is just a a great cast. Even some of the lesser known uh, people like, uh, you know, James Kahn's son, uh, Scott Scott Mm Kahn. I mean, guys like that. Uh, who weren't the hugest stars in the world, they they shined even in a movie like this, you know, with all the bigger stars o- around them. And in fact, in a lot of ways, kind of stuck out some. Oh, definitely. I think they, uh, they work so well as an ensemble. I mean, obviously, Clooney's the lead. But, you know, Matt Damon, who is every bit of uh, as big of a star, was going that route. Um, he really kind of has a smaller role, but it works perfectly and then you have the comic relief with bernie mac and you kind of have the the magician the acrobatic magician with shaobo kin you have the old-time actors with ellie golden carl reiner i mean that's it really is a terrific ensemble yeah it, it, exactly that right they covered all the gambits uh especially adding guys like uh ghoul and and um reiner in there uh definitely anchored this flick yeah yeah so did you recently re- rewatch this uh, yeah, I recently rewatched it, uh, like as in last night. Okay. So because there's so much planning going on, I, this is the type of movie that I catch new things. Is there anything new that you caught? Um, no, but I'll say that because I don't normally go through a movie with intensity like that, especially if it's, <laughs> uh, something that I saw, Okay. Uh, but so, you know I was going to ask you this, Stephen. Come on. Uh, you know what? You don't always ask me, dude. I re-catch stuff. Uh, true, true. <laughs> yeah, I got a, I got a whole different uh, perspective on the meaning of life from this flick when I Good. watched it for a second time. Thanks, Brian. So, so when is our heist? When are we going to go to Vegas? <laughs> <laughs> As we speak today, uh, my partner in crime, Hollywood Pooney, uh, is – in Vegas, as we record this, he's of in course. Vegas as we speak. So he went out there. Do I want to date this? But he went out there to see uh, uh, David Lee Roth, which, of course, oh, is, yeah. is canceled now. Yeah. As we're recording this, it's 2022. So we're still high, high in the pandemic, you know. Yes, that is uh, correct. Whenever so, this may come out. But well, we're off off. Well, I'm going to say off camera, but off mic. We were talking uh, about the Monsters of Rock Cruise. Maybe we can do a heist on the Monsters. There's a rock cruise. There's never been a, is there, I'm sure there's been a cruise ice. Yeah. You know, but a lot of that is kind of cashless society these days. So I don't True. imagine that they have a lot of cash, although the casino, well, even the casinos are, the casinos have to have cash to pay you out at the end of a cruise. Yep. So if you win big, uh, then they have to pay you out the cash. But other than that, it's almost sort of a cashless society because everything on a cruise, you basically put on your credit card mm-hmm. and, um, and then during the cruise, you're charging to the, the 
card, your seat, what they call your seat card, which is uh, how you get in and out of your room. That's mm-hmm. also your uh, that's how you pay with everything on a cruise. Well, I think this is why way back when it was so much easier to make movies and have tension because of the lack of technology. Even something as simple as a cell phone today ruins a lot of plots and a lot of plot devices because, well, we could solve that by simply doing a text message instead of having to run to a phone booth. I've noticed that a lot of TV shows, a lot of the heists now are coming from uh, trying to steal like crypto and, you know, Bitcoin type things. Yeah, that's right. That's because that's where that's all going. But I always get a kick whenever I see a movie these days, even if it's a movie where I wouldn't consider it old. Maybe it just happened in 1990 or something like that. Mm-hmm. But you watch a movie and go, holy shit, nobody has a cell phone. Holy yep. shit, nobody <laughs> has a computer. You know, yeah. it's just kind of like it's it's funny to see those things now, which is, I think, why uh a lot of people, especially these days, it's kind of the end thing to gravitate towards a movie that was uh, uh, an 80s time piece. Exactly. So they'll they'll make the movie um, in the past because it's a lot easier to write around that. I know my dad who writes novels, a lot of times he'll go back to the 50s because one, that's kind of when he was growing up, but also because it's a lot easier to come up with some great, you know, uh, twists and turns back then. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, okay, so one of the the main one of the only females in this movie is Julia Roberts. Do you think she was underused? Uh, I think she was underused. And you asked me a question earlier about who would I like to have seen in this movie. Sure. I think I think you know it's probably the um, thing to say these days. But there just there are a whole lot of uh, actresses out there, female leads out there that I think are so brilliant these days that it would have been kind of cool to have a little bit of a um, mixture like uh, ad where it wasn't so dude heavy and they added in maybe two or three uh, female uh, leads in there to level out things a bit. I know that I know they recently made, you know, another sequel with all women. That's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about more of a of a level loaded cast, basically. And I think they kind of did that going forward. Like, so I, I the second one had Catherine Zeta Jones. I think, uh, if I remember correctly, Julia Roberts had kind of a bigger role as they went. So maybe they had a, a trilogy in mind the whole time and and knew that certain characters were going to grow as as the series went along. Well, here's a question I have. Maybe you know the answer to it. And mm-hmm. uh, you asked me if I caught things yeah. watching this. The one thing I did catch, which I didn't quite understand, is during the credits of this movie, they say, and introducing Julia Roberts, who at this point was away beyond introducing. She's a big star by then. This is 10 years after Pretty Woman. So I don't understand why they put that on the credits. I think I was an inside joke at the time because uh, because she was the biggest um, star uh, of the film. Like she actually had just made like uh, if I want to, I think she had won an Oscar for Aaron Brockovich possibly. So actually, she was probably the biggest star of anyone at the time. And so I think that was kind of an inside joke to put to say and introducing Julia Roberts, who of course everyone knows. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So I'm glad you caught that. But yeah, if I I'm trying to remember um, hearing the 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 commentary, I believe that was just an inside joke between them. Yeah, I had. I mean, I had to go back and look at my dates. I said this couldn't have possibly come out before Pretty Woman, but let me just go 
uh, verify that because I'm not good with dates. And I'm like, okay, well, Pretty Woman happened 10 years before this. So he was trying to, George Clooney wanted to get um, Julia Roberts in the film. So he, he jokingly sent her a $20 bill saying, I hear you're getting 20 a picture now, which she was getting 20 million. So yeah. he, he was kind of being funny and doing that. So yeah, I think it had everything to do with, uh, you know, she was probably the biggest star male or female at the time. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. I'm glad you caught that. That's, 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 I'm not sure everyone w- would catch that. Was there, was there anything else that you caught? Was there, what do you love about this movie? I mean, what, what is this one that, uh, you know, can, is this one you can just have on at any time? Cause it's that type of movie. Pretty much what I loved about the movie for me personally was a, the cast, the way it was shot, the way that it felt, um, like a, a throwback to the older movies of Hollywood, which I told you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like the overall plot and I love, uh, and, and I can't imagine somebody hadn't seen this movie, but if they haven't, I love the overall, uh, twist and turns of the actual heist. Yeah. Because to me, when this movie came out, I may be wrong. I'm not a historian, but when this maybe movie came out, twist and turns in plots weren't as readily available as today. Now you almost expect it in a lot of uh, movies that you watch, right? Um, well, no, I mean, you had Hitchcock. I think Hitchcock was the master of um, a twist and turn. I think they were always there. Maybe it was just less um, since films were kind of kind of new and, and people were expecting less. Like, I think you had to almost come up with the unexpected more as people age with film, because if you've seen 30 years worth of films now, you can't keep doing the same kind of plot device. Maybe that's where you're going with that. Well, OK, so let me let me go a little bit deeper and explain what I'm talking about. Sure. Uh, twist and turns maybe isn't the right word. Maybe um, gotcha endings, maybe. Well, maybe things that look like a, a duck and talk like a duck, but <laughs> end up being a rhinoceros. And what I mean by that is if you think back to movie history in general, one of the biggest ones that, that I can think of that was like a holy crap moment was the sixth sense. I was just about. To okay. Yeah. So, yeah. so ever since the sixth sense, as time has gone on, you see more and more of these type of holy shit moments at the end. And for me, there was a little bit of that with the, the heist itself, you know, when he finally realizes that everything that you've been watching up to this point was a video versus what was actually going on. And, and just, you know what I mean? It was like, Mm -hmm. you knew that they were recreating a vault because they never kept that a secret, but you didn't realize when the heist was actually happening that you were watching the video of something that had already happened. Does that make sense? Oh, it totally does. But I think a lot of this has to do with, um, most people aren't like, me where they love like history like far far history and so they they forget it's easy to forget just you know 20 years ago that something might have been done before so i i would say the sixth sense twist is almost like psycho um if you've seen psycho where oh my god norma bates is really the mom you know yeah. <laughs> stuff yes. like that yeah, so yeah. there were always i think there were always things like that i think just people um if they don't go back in time and they're discovering films for the first time they're they're seeing certain things but again i think 
um, to what I was trying to convey, I think you have to kind of get crazier and crazier with your twists or your gotcha moments because it's almost always, it's all been done before. So you have to kind of, you know, do the unexpected <laughs> to, to get people to uh, kind of be, oh, okay, I, I'm with you there. A lot of people don't know this, but Sonny Pooney is actually uh, Danny Ocean's cousin. <laughs> he, he even looks like him a little bit. <laughs> I believe that. I, I, Sonny, Sonny is the most interesting man in the world. Just ask him. <laughs> we love Sonny. We absolutely love Sonny. But hey, he is Mr. Vegas. So that's why I'm, I'm going to be, it'll be funny to hear how, I, I'm sure he's already thinking, he's always thought about how, how would he pull off a heist or something like that. He's gonna tell. He's gonna tell you about his uh, Vegas uh, mix of music that he has strictly created for his trips to Vegas. How, speaking of Vegas, do you go to Vegas often, or how how often have you been there? Uh, I've been there a few times. Uh, no, I, it's not a regular trip for me because uh, two things. One, it's on the West Coast versus. I mean, that's a three and a half hour sure. plane ride for me. Uh, and two. Every time I go to Vegas, I'm excited about going. I go, I get there, I'm excited for about two or three hours, and then I start seeing some of the, uh, shall we say, um, shadier side, <laughs> shadier side, the dirgier side yeah. of Vegas, and it for whatever reason starts to make me feel a little bad. Does that yeah. make sense? I totally get it. I went there. I've been there once. I went there in my early twenties. And immediately when we got to the, um, the hotel, we were, we were, uh, accosted by a, a woman of the night, which was, I found amusing, but yeah. my, my buddies were kind of horrified. So yeah. Yeah. I, I always have a great time because I mean, yes, I've been there during my bachelor days, but I also, the last time I went to Vegas was for, uh, Sonny Pooney's, uh, big birthday party, which right. was amazing. And I've gone to Vegas to see kiss uh, on this end of the road tour, which was mm -hmm. amazing. So, uh, I've had great times. It's just that literally, I mean, like I just explained to you that happens every time I I'm excited to go, I go, I'm excited for about two or three hours. Then I start seeing the dirge and then I'm not excited anymore. Well, then you go outside. I don't know if it's still like this, but there's like, um, those cards like all over like strewn from like all of the, the strip clubs and things like that. They're just all over the street. I don't know if it's like that. You know, it wasn't as bad the last time I went with all of that stuff. Yes, it used to be that way, but, uh, and, and there is still some of that stuff, but it's more, uh, a lot of the adverse and stuff that they're handing out now is more about like come to the rave party or come oh, right. to this dis <laughs> disco party or whatever you know because the uh, djs in vegas is a big thing now right sure. they have these sure. dj glow parties and stuff where uh some of those djs man they're they're the rock stars of today they're the ones that are making millions and millions of dollars to uh do a gig at some of these casinos which is crazy. And actually, I think it was better when I went because I was going almost pre I was before uh, iPhones and things like that. So nothing was getting filmed, which was probably much better back then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I literally I wish somebody would pay me a uh, million dollars to put together a playlist on my phone and jump <laughs> up and down from a lighted uh, uh uh, you know, stand. <laughs> it, it's a, it's amazing what passes for talent today. You know, these days. <laughs> well, one bar, you, my friend, are always talented. I love talking to you, and we always have a great time talking. So I, I appreciate you doing this, Stephen.
Absolutely. Always enjoy it as always. Uh, and if my uh, co-host is on next, please give him my love. And uh, yeah, Ocean's Eleven. Good flick. Go check it out if you haven't. And definitely check out the Growing Up Rock podcast and you get this type of banter uh, between Sonny and, and Steven. And it's always a good time. If you love rock and roll, come on over. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to you soon, Steven. See ya. Okay, we are back with Growing Up Rocks and Podcast Rock City's Sunny Hollywood Pony. Though I should call you Vegas Pony because you love Vegas, <laughs> don't you? Oh, I absolutely love Vegas. I don't know if I could uh, live there, but I am absolutely in love with Vegas. There's been years I've been there eight, ten times. <laughs> okay, so why couldn't you live there? I don't know. I I thought about it. First of all, you know the jobs are a little bit tougher to get there because. Mm -hmm. um, there's just not a lot of hubs there, but I don't know if I want to be that close to something that I love doing because okay. I think I like that I get to do it only every once in a while. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like us, right? We live on the coast. Everybody's, oh, you must be at the beach every day. No, Dude, I can't tell you the last time I was at the beach. <laughs> it's true. It's too close to home. Yeah, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So I, I know <laughs> I'm going to ask the question, but I kind of already know the answer. I'm a Assuming you've never seen the original Ocean's Eleven. Oh, yeah. No, no. But, and I thought about it. Like, okay. you know, I don't like those old movies. Right? I know. And I thought about it after I had seen this movie several times that I should go check out that old movie. And I'm like, I'm going to be disappointed. Like, I, after 40 years of people telling me how great The Godfather was, I finally saw it a year ago. And I thought that was the worst movie ever. <laughs> well, it's good having you on the podcast, Sonny. So. <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, so it's like, that's just how I am. Well. I think uh, I think you'd have a problem with Ocean's Eleven because it, it's it's long and there's not as much action and you're pretty much drawn to the novelty of all these you know the Rat Pack together. Yeah. So uh, I don't I don't think this would it would resonate with with newer audiences that are looking for the action, especially if they the first one they saw was the the newest one. Um, okay, so I know you're a guy that's always you got your mind always going, and I'm sure you're watching this and you're thinking of ways. How would you have done the heist if you were going to take down? Uh, not one casino, but but multiple. I thought it was done very well. Like they thought of things I would not have thought of. Um, I thought they reacted to the obstacles well. Um, I think the movie did a good job of showing no matter how great the plan is, you're going to have some things that happen unlucky and you're going to have to get a little bit lucky. Like the whole case on top of the casino cart, right? Like you oh, can yeah. plan that, right? The whole uh, – the I noticed that the Bellagio thingy wasn't there. When I first watched the movie, I'm like, wait a second. They just flipped the thingy. Hey, rewind that because I think the Bellagio thingy wasn't there before. Right. So I'll notice those kind of things, but you know, you're not going to catch everything. And I'm not sure I would have done the heist any differently. Now I don't have a woman that I'm going to go try to get. So I don't know about right. the whole, you know, TV thing and go up and watch TV, blah, blah, blah. I probably leave that piece out of it. But, uh, it's very well planned. There's no way this could be executed live, but it's very well planned for a movie. Well, yeah, and, and you and I talked about the A-team and our love of, you know, when a plan comes together and things like that. Yeah. And that's exactly – this is basically the highest version of, it, of the A-team. Yeah, yeah, and I'm kind of looking at it going, okay, you do need all the players that play. So that's kind of cool, and I kind of liked – I actually loved all of the scenes of how the team comes together because right. in this franchise, you don't get that again, right? No. You only get it this one time. So unless 
here's one of those movies that you have to kind of start at the beginning. Otherwise, if you start at Ocean's 13 or whatever, you're going to be a little lost. Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought this up. Where where does this particular film rank in the trilogy for you? And actually, you could – well, yeah, because we'll separate Ocean's 8 because even though it's part, it really isn't. Yeah, this is the best for me. This okay. is the best out of the three. And why is that? Uh, partially because it's uh, the first one. Uh, the second part is it's all Vegas, right? And it it had this connection because it kind of came out right as we were having kids. Mm-hmm. So we didn't see this in the theater. We saw it on uh, on VHS or whatever, and mm-hmm. then we bought it on DVD or we might have saw it on DVD right out of the gate. But it had everything I wanted, right? Vegas, it's got the con thingy, it's got great star power, I love gambling, they're talking about playing cards. Like, it had all that. As you get to the later movies, now you're bringing art into it, you're bringing <laughs> other countries into it. Like, True. So, and they had to do that because you can't tell the same story over and over and over. That's right. I enjoyed the third one more than I enjoyed the second one because we bring it back to Vegas. Right, and Pacino. Yeah. Yeah. So I enjoyed that one. Um, but even that, you know, the whole diamonds thing and that kind of got a little bit more cell phony and earthquakey and diamonds. This was more, it felt more like a gambling type movie. I don't know. Yeah. More in the, it's more traditional and they did, they were kind of faithful to a little bit to the original film. Uh, okay. So which character of the, of the main uh, group do you, uh, do you associate yourself with the most? Good Lord. I want to say Rusty because I'm always eating. Dude, <laughs> did Rusty ever stop eating? No. I don't think, no, he, that's I don't think Brad Pitt ever stopped eating. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, I'm probably not as clever as Clooney is. I want to think I am, but I'm not. I'm mm-hmm. not. So I'm probably more the Rusty guy. I'm like, somebody's got the plan. It's like, all right, here's what I think I would do also. Um, I'm the guy that supports and gather the troops and kind of be – one B instead of I guess one A. Okay, and so you you would consider your your buddy and your partner Stephen Michael is like the Bernie Mac, the comic relief. Oh, dude, uh, Elliot Gould maybe I don't know. Ah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He could have been Carl Reiner too because you that's always right. how how old he is. You guys always joke about. <laughs> okay, I, I'm taking you're a big fan of heist movies then. Oh, I, I totally am. Anything that remember that TV show it takes a thief. It was one of my favorite. TV shows growing up mm-hmm. and I've always kind of liked this whole thief con clever cat burglar type of movies. I've always enjoyed those. Sure. Sure. Uh, the, um, so there's, there's a lot of people, I don't know who else they could have cast when you were watching this. Was there any other actor that you would have said, Oh, this, they would have made, they would have done well in this film too. No, man, the casting here is outstanding. I can't think of anybody except for really, I'm not the biggest, um, forget her name already. The Julia her name Julia Roberts? Julia Roberts. Julia Roberts? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not the biggest Julia Roberts fan, right? But she doesn't have a huge part in this. No. Now, what she did do well is she plays that sarcastic woman scorned again well, right? Mm-hmm. So, so then I'm okay because I guess it could have been, you know, Halle Berry because she have done it. Yeah. She could have done it. Could have been sure. Angelina Jolie. Yeah, she could have done it. But if you put like Nicole Kidman in that, I don't know if she can pull that off. No, no. Or, or Blanchett or somebody like that. Well, I think, and we had kind of talked about this in Mr. and Mrs. Smith. I think Catherine Zeta-Jones could have probably been good in this. In this and uh, she was in the second one. Right? Exactly. She played a great part in the second one. 
That's right. So it definitely could pull. And and Julia Roberts' uh, role did expand throughout the trilogy. Yeah, which was fine. I got used to her. Like, like I, that's not who I would have picked. I guess. Um, I'm actually more of a Susan Sarandon fan than her, but uh, I don't know if I would pick Susan Sarandon for this either. But yeah, that. But she doesn't have a huge part in the movies. So I guess it doesn't really matter. I'm trying to remember in the third one. Did Al Pacino have a spouse or, or a love interest? No, well, because. Susan Sarandon. Susan Sarandon yeah. might have been good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because he was uh, he had that assistant, right? right? So he was always kind of talking to the assistant. He didn't have a love interest. His love interest was his job and screwing yeah. everybody over. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So you recently rewatched this, I'm assuming? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. So what what new things did you did you uh, find from your recent reviewing? Yeah, the newest thing was Bernie Mac, actually. Right. Hmm. And I'm yeah. a big Bernie Mac fan. I was a fan when he was doing stand-up all yep. the way to his TV show, uh, seeing every movie he's been in. And I realized, because this was kind of in the middle of his acting career, Yep. and when you first listen to him on stand-up, and by the time he gets to the TV show, he has gotten some speech classes because he has slowed down his speech. It's not as slurred. Maybe mm-hmm. he's more sober. I don't know. Right? <laughs> But there's definitely an understanding that you get from Bernie Mac that you could not get when you first heard them. True. When you first heard him. So in here, he's about halfway through, right? You can understand everything he's saying, and it's very uh, – uh, it's done very well, and he plays a great part. And I love it that he's in the continuous movies. So the, that part actually I loved about the trilogy, by the way, is they kept bringing back the same actors, which that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, I always kind of learn like the first lesson of poker, leave emotion at the door. Like I, <laughs> I guess I hadn't picked that up before because I didn't know that was the first uh, lesson of poker. Um, I'm always kind of picking up. I, I, I forgot he had said Ted, Ted Nugent wants his shirt back. Like, <laughs> that's, <again>. that's true. <laughs> right. So because the, it's coming, the quips are coming at such a pace that you would have to mo- watch the movie a couple of times. And that I'll go to a criticism. Sure. I, I love this movie. But hard part with these kind of movies, though, is the director and the writer and the actors are expecting you to be an intermediate understander yes. of what is going on. So yeah. if you are watching this movie with somebody that asks a lot of questions, hey, what just happened there? What's going on? You would go absolutely nuts. So, totally. Right? I watched this movie two or three times before kind of like Nicole got involved. So that way I could even explain because I haven't figured it out yet. Don't ask me. I don't know yet. Right. But, uh, you know, you've got friends that like movies that are straight ahead. Mm-hmm. So they would struggle with these kind of movies out of the gate. They would have to watch it four or five times. Yeah. And this one is actually the most straightforward of the three. So. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The others are even way out there. And you're totally spot on about Bernie Mac. I think part of his standup was he, he was so funny because of his delivery and his tone. Uh, and that was part of his shtick. But you can't necessarily do the same shtick when you're acting uh, unless you're Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> so, you right. Know, that's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's one thing. Rodney Dangerfield would emphasize words yeah. and there was a delivery in the timing. Bernie was slurring his words. Yeah. That's that's a lot harder. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's totally correct. And yeah. uh, so how did you feel about the little duo <laughs> of Casey Affleck and Scott Kahn? They were kind of the, the comic relief. Yeah, I, I thought they were great. Um, I've enjoyed Scott Kahn in later things. He was in the new Y five O. I, I right. loved the new Y five O until they got rid of Grace Park, and then I stopped watching it. But uh, mm. they did a good job of that, right? They're the two Jethros, and you got to have two guys that are willing to do anything. They can pretty much do anything. 
I don't know if you want him is probably on the edge as those two are because they could create problems. <laughs> oh, yeah. But that's, you know, they're willing to do anything. That's why, because they're crazy. Yeah, yeah. Of the heist, what, what were some of your, your like, favorite scenes of how they pulled things off? Uh, I love the, you know, the battery being dead when they're trying yeah. to blow the safe. Yeah. Uh, I love... <laughs> I love the ten dollar he shorts it twenty right like they're betting on <laughs> they're betting on things going bad that totally reminds me of me and my friends. Um, I love that they walk straight out of the casino. I love it when uh, Reiner asks, "So we're going to do all these things, or what? They're just going to let us walk straight out, right?" And it's like, "Well, yeah." So it always feels like that the the entire group doesn't know the whole plan, and that. Uh, Clooney and, and Pitt are like holding back a part of the plan. And I don't exactly know why. I don't know if it's to create mystery and I don't know if they don't want to be challenged. I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Did you like in the beginning when Brad Pitt's kind of tutoring the, uh, I guess you can call them kids, uh, the famous, their actors at the time, uh, about how to play poker? Have you dealt like you when you're at a poker table, have you dealt with amateurs before and, and how do you react to them? Oh, my God. That, totally. I've taught other people how to play cards. It is the most frustrating thing on the planet. I taught the kids how to play cards. It was frustrating as hell. I went to blackjack instead because it was easier. I've tried to teach, uh, you know, like Nicole or or other people I've been with that, you know, as a friend or whatever, and they go to Vegas with you, and it's like, all right, I'm playing this game. Let me teach you the game. And they're like, I'm completely lost. I'm like, it's the simplest game on the planet. Like, are you kidding me right now? My favorite game is Mississippi Stud. It's a super easy game if you know how to play poker. Mm -hmm. If you don't know how to play poker, then you kind of just, I don't even know where to help you to start. But this whole thing about, you know, why do you got six cards? You got three pairs. Like, uh, those things happen. Frustrating as hell. I I don't know if I could teach anymore. I was Mm -hmm. willing to teach when I was more intermediate. Now that I've got 30 plus years playing cards, I'm not sure I could teach anybody anymore. So my my dad, one of his fun things that he likes to go to card rooms and, and do that, but he's a he's a limit player, and so he's yeah. he gets frustrated when he's playing with guys that are think that they are like the the tournament players, and they you know they're used to no limit. Do you, what do you are you a limit or a no limit guy? I've done both, but I can understand why. Um, your dad will get frustrated because the no limit players that get to a limit table, basically mm-hmm. they just take it to limit the whole, whole time, right? Right. They don't let you see any cards. And the whole point of limit poker is you want to see a card or two every once in a while, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Um, you want to play no limit. You got to know what you're doing. Otherwise you could get your, your bankroll could get ugly quick. Uh-huh. Um, I probably play more no limit though than I play limit. Okay. Have you been in a tournament and things like that? Oh yeah. Yeah. I played uh, three world series poker uh, circuit events. Uh, I haven't played the main event. Uh, I've done team uh, World Series poker events, and then I probably played two or three times uh, in the card room every Vegas trip. Nice. So you you must love the movie Rounders. <laughs> oh, yeah, I watch it every time before going to Vegas. I've there seen that go. movie probably <laughs> three hundred times. Love it. Nice, nice. Well, as always, Sonny, thank you so much, and we're gonna be talking real soon. All right, man. Thanks. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.